Well, everyone, um, again, we want to uh, welcome you to our series on uh, Perspectives on Sharing Hope. And we are using that teaser clip every week just to remind you about the importance of perspective. It's amazing that when you get a new perspective on something, you see things in an entirely different way. And that's one of our goals in this series, is to really help all of us as a church to have a change in our perspective, especially around the area of sharing our hope in Christ. Now, I want to say hello to the Allison campus uh, this morning as you're watching this uh, via video. And uh, again, I want to just welcome all of you here. Now, as we uh, move on, last week we talked about um, our perspective on, on sharing hope, and we talked about what Jesus said. He simply said, you know, let your light shine. Um, you know, you're the light of the world. And so we really just thought about, well, what does it mean to be the light of the world and how that is part of what it means to be sharing our hope in Christ, that our, our deeds, our words, our whole life should just help shine out so that people see Christ, uh, see God, and give him glory and are drawn towards him. Well, again, I want to remind you that um, as we think about this series on sharing our hope, Christ calls us as the head of the church to a certain mission. And this mission is simply this. We are called to lead people to follow Jesus, love God, and love others. That is our mission. That is, at the end of the day, when we are trying to determine whether or not um, we are a successful church, and again, I'm putting the successful in quotations, whether or not we have a good church, it has nothing to do with how comfortable the chairs are, has nothing to do with how modern our technology is, has nothing to do with how many programs are, are geared for every single age group from infant to 99. It has everything to do with ultimately, ultimately, and all those things can serve the mission, by the way, all those things I mentioned, none of them are bad. But, but they are not the end. The end for our church is that we would lead people to follow Jesus, love God, love others. You know, you know for those of you who are watching this on video, some people here mumbled that, but I want us to say it all together, really cloud. So our mission is to lead people to follow Jesus, love God, and love others. Now, now again, that needs to be our filter. That is our mission. And... Um, and, and the question, though, is this. It's great for you to be able to say, I know what the mission of our church is. You know what's amazing is that I grew up in church for years, and I never could say what the mission of the church was. I mean, because I heard so many different opinions. But, but, but once we can grasp what the mission of the church is, and if that is it, to lead people to follow Jesus, love God, and love others, now my question is simply this. Why? What compels you to get involved in that? What, what compels you to want to lead people to follow Jesus, love God, and others? Why would you want to take up this, this responsibility and this privilege? What would compel you so that you say, I do want my light to shine um, out in this world? You know, let's not forget that we do live in a world which has a lot of different views right now about spirituality, about what religion is true and what isn't true. We live in a world where people scoff at anyone who says they have the truth. We live in a world where now the, the line between the secular and the religious is being drawn more and more. For example, now our next-gen pastor cannot put any religious material in the public schools. 
She was told by our district office that is not allowed. That's their new policy. The lines are being drawn. You know, as we think about this, we live in a world where everyone has their own definition of God. Just watch movies. See how Hollywood defines God in a, in a variety of ways. We live in a world where one person sums it up in this way. We now live in a world where there is intelligence without faith, moral sensitivity without truth, and spirituality without spiritual life. So recognizing that we do not live in a friendly world to share our faith anymore, why would we want to share our faith? Why would we want to lead people to follow Jesus, love God, and love others? Well, today I want to talk about the end game. Um, you know, the word end game is a, is a neat phrase. It actually is rooted in chest. And basically, end game means that when essentially all the pieces are all off the board and you're down to your last one or two pieces and you kind of know who's going to win and who's going to lose, that's called the end game in chess. Well, that also, though, is a great metaphor when we talk about what's the end game for our lives. I mean, when all the moves of life are done and all the pieces are gone, where does one end up? Where does faith in God lead? Where does not having faith in God lead? What's the end game for everybody at the end of the day? Well, if we're going to get an answer to that from a Christian perspective, we need to let Jesus speak to us about this. Because Jesus did something very important while he was here on earth. He always talked a lot about the end game. He talked about where we were going, where it all ended, and what choices people had. And so, again, last week we were looking at his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, or now we're going to look at the very end of his sermon found in Matthew chapter 7. So, again, if you want to look at his whole sermon, read chapter 5, 6, and 7. But here we're coming to the end of his sermon, and he's talking now, remember, to believers. Now, if you're not a believer here today or listening to this on the video cast. Well, then you can overhear this. Go ahead. You can listen in. But remember, Jesus right now is talking to his followers. And he says, if you're following me, I want you to pay attention to about the end game. And here we come to Matthew chapter 7 and just reading verses 13 and 14. This is what Jesus says. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad. And its gate is wide for many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. You know, as we um, think about these words of Jesus, the first thing Jesus is telling us is about the consequences of faith. He's telling us about a phrase I've used before. It's not original with me, but a phrase I've used before. He's really saying, play the movie to the end. Think it through. And in this latter part of his Sermon on the Mount, he is stating that life ultimately ends in two ways. There is a narrow way and there is a broad way. And, and, um, um, and in fact, if you read down through the rest of his sermon, he has these couplets in his last part of his message. He talks about the narrow way, the broad way. He, then he talks about the tree with the good fruit versus the tree with the bad fruit. And then he finally ends by talking about the wise and the foolish builder. All of them, and he talks about the consequences of what happens with each of these couplets. So he's saying, okay, 
life is, is this or this, this or this, this or this. And in this case, he's saying there's, people can either go down the broad way or people can go the narrow way. One thing about this passage that Jesus is telling us here is that there is a life hereafter. Um, I find that when we get talking about the afterlife, um, there are two extremes I find I have to navigate, um, even in the context. Actually, this, this, this congregation right before me is a great example. If you're young and I get talking to you about the life hereafter, you get saying, hey, that's like 50, 60, 70 years from now. I, I mean, maybe, Dave, you're closer to it, but i got so much time. I mean, I've got health. The, meta, the, the medical care in this country maybe isn't super great, but it's great enough to keep me alive. The average age is going up. I mean, women now, man, they're living up into their 90s. Guys still are lagging behind a bit, but that's the, another story. But lots of time. So the, one, on one end, um, you know, young people don't want to hear about the life hereafter because, well, it's too far off. On the other hand, for those who are now in their 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s, they don't want to hear about it because it's too near. Um, you know, whether or not we're comfortable, though, about talking about the end game or the life hereafter, um, it really doesn't matter. And you say, well, why doesn't it matter about whether you're, I'm comfortable or not? Well, because we're here to hear Jesus. And, and the amazing thing is, when you hear the words of Jesus throughout Scripture, he was very comfortable about talking plainly about the life hereafter. And not only talking about the life hereafter in a sort of a general, not in a general sort of ethereal, nebulous way. No, he was very comfortable about being very specific about saying, here are where people are headed. He was willing to talk about those eternal issues. He was willing to talk about heaven and hell. He, he was very comfortable about talking this out and saying, here's where people are headed. People are either headed in the narrow way that leads to life, or people are headed down the broad road that leads to destruction. And he just said it. And if Jesus says it, then we need to listen to it. Now, as we come, and if you're following along in your outline, let's just look at, again, this passage um, in, the, in this this. Um, what he's talking about here. So he, he's really saying that there are two paths, right? He, he says that, that basically our destiny will lie on two paths. Um, in a day and age where we like lots of options, we're confronted here by Jesus' words that our relationship with God is basically one that is moving towards his kingdom or one that is moving away. There is no third path. There is no fourth road. There is one of two paths. And actually, God ultimately just looks on our heart to see if there's faith or lack of faith, if there's belief or unbelief, if there's righteousness or wickedness. Now, what can we discern about these two paths? Well, that, well first of all, we can see Jesus points out that few find the narrow way and many are on the broad way. So there's this few versus many. Um, now, now, it's interesting here that when he says, if you notice this, it goes, um, you know, the gateway to life is very narrow and the, and the road is difficult. But catch this last part. And only a few 
ever find it. Only a few ever find it. Not, not just a few make it, a few ever find it. And you've got to ask yourself, why is it that people overlook this way of Christ, this narrow way? Why, why, why do so few find it? Um, is it? Is it because it doesn't look attractive compared to all the other ways of the world? Is it because it requires faith and trust and, and sacrifice where you have to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Jesus? Is it because of God's requirements? Is it because there is likely to be persecution and rejection? Is it because there's going to be spiritual warfare if you try to start going down that way? It's fascinating. I, I'll talk to people who said, you know, before I became a Christian, it never seemed Satan bothered me, but now I feel like I'm, I'm battling him every day. Well, 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 that's right, because before he had you. Now he's battling with you. <laughs> um, it's interesting that Jesus points out very clearly that few find it, which tells us that we need to be diligent and we need to help others to pay attention in a world that is walking the other way. We have to help people find it. You know, it's, I, I think what, what fascinates me, though, most about this few versus many is what people say about who goes to heaven and what Jesus says. This is one of the most disturbing passages in the Bible about people going to heaven, I find. Because everyone I talk to, every funeral I've gone to, and I've gone to a lot, that's part of my work, everybody I talk to, you know, I haven't yet met anyone who says, that person went to hell. You know, that person went down. Nope, that, nope, 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 sorry. No, not at all. Everybody I've talked to over the last 27 years, of all the funerals I've gone to, everybody's gone to heaven. I said, but I didn't even know this person was a Christian. Didn't matter. They had a good heart. But doesn't matter. No, no, everybody's gone. You know, there are statistics out there by the Gallup poll that when people are asked, do you believe in heaven and hell? Most people still believe in a heaven and hell. They, they have different definitions of it, but, but they believe in it. And then when they're asked, well, who goes? Who, they, they, do they believe that certain people go to hell? They go, oh, yes, yeah, certain people go to hell. And then when they ask, well, are you going to heaven or hell? They, every, almost 90% of the people believe they're going to heaven. It's someone else. It's someone who's worse than them, right? And for a lot of people... Their line of reasoning is that they're good enough to get into heaven. Now, here's the part that blows me away. That's what you hear. If you're honest, you know that's most of the conversations and most of the people, most of the funerals you've gone to, everybody's gone to heaven. And yet Jesus says, few find it. And many are on the broad road. I, don't, I, can't, I, I can't bring a resolution to this. I hope I'm just stirring up some real, real, real issue for you here because that, for me, tells me that people are having the wrong lens in determining why everybody goes to heaven. I, I just wonder, is it because when most people say that most people are going to heaven, is it because people have too little understanding of the gospel? They have a little understanding of God and and they have little understanding of his holiness or our fallenness, that, that they have a misguided assurance on their own worth, that many believe that they're good enough but not truly understanding what it means to be acceptable in God's sight. 
You know, the other thing about this path, the, the, the two paths, is this. Not only are there few and many, but there's also this distinction between life and destruction. Um, Jesus says here that, that the one way, the narrow way, the gateway, the gateway leads to life. Um, but the broad way leads to hell or destruction. Let's just think for a moment. What is this gateway, this narrow way, this narrow road that leads to life? Well, this life is both spiritual, eternal, and, it, and it's, it's in heaven. Now, I'll be honest with you. It's really hard to sometimes get a picture of this spiritual, eternal life in heaven disentangled from our physical limitations here on earth. We, we, we just keep thinking, well, is it everything here on earth but just better? But we, we really get ourselves messed up here. And I think we have to work hard to disentangle our, our, our thinking from the limitations of our earthly experiences. Harry Blamiers, in his article called The Eternal Weight of Glory, gives us some thoughts about what this life that is spiritual, eternal in heaven is like. I, I, I just want to highlight uh, three things he says quickly. He says, this life in heaven is more real. You know, often, again, our Hollywood image of heaven is that somehow it's all vapory and white and cloudy and floaty and... And all, everyone's sort of just this sort of, they're fuzzy and they're all sort of glowy, but you really can't touch them. Yet, the biblical description of heaven is that there's a city, and it's measured right down to the lengths and the widths of it. That, that when you look at the biblical descriptions, it, that it's, it's solid. It says that nothing up in heaven, nothing in that reality can moth or rust, destroy or corrupt that, that often, let's be honest, everything that we have here, as real as it may feel, it's already beginning to deteriorate. Yet in heaven, it's real. It's substance. It's solid. Here's another part of what heaven is. It means that we're compensated. Um, you know, what, what was once lost is now found. There's all those great stories about, you know, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. And this idea that when we come to heaven, what was once lost is now found. And let me just say very clearly to the people who are experiencing bereavement right now, that loved one that you've lost in Christ, when you come to heaven and experience spiritual life, that person that you lost is going to be found for you. You know, there will be the cancellation of bereavement. There will be no more deep sorrow and pain and tears. What was once lost is now found. Um, but let's not forget that ultimately the supreme joy of heaven is the vision of God himself. All the love you've ever tasted that you are experiencing today, remember, is Christ's personality that's being operative in God's creatures. I love what Mother Teresa says. She says, when she looked in the eyes of the poor, she would see the eyes of Jesus. Now, now here's the thing. Um, I, I love, I'm just going to read what Blamiers writes here. He says, all the love we've ever known in our relationships with others, all that, that collected and distilled into the personal warmth of God from whom it all derived, and now when you are in heaven, you are standing before all that love, that is the kind of picture that the Christian imagination reaches towards when we talk about the ultimate reward of the redeemed. And that's why when you start to understand that you will see God, you will fall under the weight of glory. 
Now that's where the narrow road leads. That is the gate that leads to life. But then Jesus says there's another gate. It is a broad gate. And that gate is wide and spacious. And, uh, and Jesus here is referring to this way that leads to Gehenna. And in the New Testament, Gehenna referred to hell. Um, and Gehenna was viewed with all horror. It, it actually referred to a garbage dump outside of the Jerusalem area. But it became to be known as the place of eternal punishment. That, the phrase became that. And, and in fact, it was a place to be avoided at all cost. Jesus himself said, if your hand makes you, you to offend, cut it off. It's good for you to go into life maimed rather than, than to have two hands and go off into Gehenna, into unquenchable fire. Now, now please understand, Jesus' message about hell was, was not that his message was fundamentally negative. When you read the Gospels, you see that Jesus approached people positively with compassion and with love and with healing and with forgiveness. You, you, you can't read the Gospels without realizing how much Jesus was filled with love and, and warmth and acceptance and reaching out. In fact, Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the lost. But, but at the same time, as much as Jesus did not use hell as a stick to beat people into salvation... He was always making it very clear that at the end, if you chose sin, if you chose disobedience, if you chose to say, God, I'm living my own way, then that had tremendous consequences. You would reap a dreadful harvest. You know, when you look at the description of the Broadway in the Bible, words for destruction include hell, separation from God, the judgment of hell, darkness, fire, and where the worm does not die. This is a horror to be avoided at all costs. Such is the consequence of being far from God. I came across this classic old quote. I think just, if you can just, just listen to it, just kind of sums it up. No man in his wits would choose to go to the gallows because the way is smooth and pleasant nor refuse the offer of a palace and a throne because the way to it is rough and dirty. Yet such absurdities as these are men guilty of in the concerns of their soul. Now, now that's the two paths. Please understand. Few versus many, life versus destruction. But now there are two paths for those who follow Jesus that we need to choose to take. The reality that Jesus speaks about plainly points to us that we need to make sure that we flipped our worldview about when we look at people. We cannot not care about people. You, you, you know what's, what's amazing is that a lot of people have turned their faith and even coming to church and even serving in a church or being part of a church family or being part of the Christian movement, they've turned it into a moralistic, therapeutic experience. They, they've made it like saying, well, I need to feel better about myself, so I'm going to go and hear some good news that God loves me, and I'll, I'll deal with my, my insecurities, and I'll become a more positive person. So I so much love being a Christian. 
And for others, they're realizing, you know, we need to make sure that our kids learn the difference between right and wrong. So we need to make sure that we're good moral people because good moral people are good successful people and good successful people live in nice middle class homes and we have a good, nice life. So we've turned our whole faith into a moral therapeutic experience. But Jesus, when he says, come follow me, says, I've come to seek and to save the lost. And that's why Paul would later on say, I will become all things to all men. To the Jew, I'll become a Jew. To the Greek, I'll become a Greek. I'll shave my head. I'll wear long hair. I'll do what I have to do in order that some might be saved. Now, my question is, why are you part of this church family? So you can have a bit of a moral therapeutic experience or that you want to be part of the mission of God. See, Jesus says, if you follow me, I'm making you fishers of men and women, boys and girls. We've got to go fishing. We've got to get out there. So now we have a, a choice of the two roads we can take. We can either go down the road of sharing where we need to share with others that Jesus is the gate. See, because remember here, in this passage, Jesus is saying that, um, you know, you can only enter God's kingdom through the narrow gate. Well, what's that narrow gate? Well, here we find in John 10, 9, Jesus himself says, yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. So, so the gate's Jesus. And we need to share with people that Jesus is the way. Or the other path we can take as Christians is we can deny. We can deny others the hope of Christ. And there's something very chilling in a statement said by Jesus himself in Matthew 10, where he says, if everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. If someone comes up to you and says, hey, are you a Christian? <laughs> someone said you go to the Journey Church. I can't believe it. That was a joke. <laughs> they should believe it. And you should tell them why. You should be ready to share with you the hope that's within you. So that brings us to our, you know, we've been talking about the two paths, right? Jesus says there's two paths. If you find it, many are on the other path that lead to destruction. One leads to life. One leads to hell. And, of course, we, we, can, we can either share or deny. What are, you, what are we doing? But that brings us to our one mission. See, the end game compels us to accomplish the mission. You know, I, I've shared this over the years, but it's worth repeating. Um, it's something I read in one of Rick Warren's books. He says, when we die as Christians and go to heaven, there will be two things that you'll never be able to do in heaven. One is, in heaven, you'll never be able to sin again. And the second thing you'll never be able to do in heaven is share your faith with Christ to someone who does not know him. Then Rick Warren just asked this very simple question. Which one do you think Jesus wants you to do now? You know, our end game also means in hearing Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, when you think about your own end game, um, 
You can be certain you'll be saved from destruction if your faith is in what Jesus did rather than your own good works and morality. What is not certain for you or for me is whether Jesus will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Billy Graham was interviewed a number of years ago, and he says, what, and, they, and the question was asked, what's your greatest fear? He said, my greatest fear is Jesus will not say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. That's Billy Graham. And you're saying, man, Billy Graham's feeling that way. There's no hope <laughs> for me. But what are some ways that we can be about the mission that Jesus wants us to be about if we're going to follow him? Remember, if our mission is to follow Jesus ourselves, we need to follow him and what he wants us to do. Well, I think we need, to, we need to be about helping people go from the broad way to the narrow way. We need to help them find the gate. So what can we do? Well, I'm just going to end up here very practically. Here are some things that we want you to do during this month of March. We first of all want you to start praying. Can I challenge you to start praying for your family members, for your neighbors, for your workers, for your employees, for your employer, for people in this city, for people in this country, for people around the world. But, but pray for people in your circle primarily right now that you know that you need to be, let your light shine and that you, where you need to help talk to them about what path they're on, that you need to be a presence in their life. The second thing that I want you to do, what I want to encourage us as a church to do, is you need to learn to share your faith. You know, Peter tells Christians to always have an answer for the hope that is within them. If, if someone were to ask you right now, why are you a Christian? Dave, why are you a Christian? June, why are you a Christian? Alan, why are you a Christian? Tracy, why are you a Christian? Right? Daryl, why are you a Christian? What would you say? You know, most people tune out after about three to four minutes of talking. That uh, doesn't give me much hope in my preaching, but <laughs> could you get to the point in the first minute, two minutes of that time of attention? Could you say, well, you know what? I think that there's more to life than just this life. And I think that I believe there's a God, and I believe this God is just, and I believe we live in a universe that, that if you do wrong, someone has to pay for it. And when I think about all the wrong I've done, I don't think I can pay for it. And Jesus comes along and says, I'm willing to pay for it. And when I come to Easter, I see Jesus on the cross, and he's saying, I'm paying for it. And I'm going, great, it's not what I've done, it's what Jesus did. And, I'm, and he, all he asked me to do is put my trust in him. That's why I'm a Christian. I'm following Jesus because not only did he die, but he rose again. And that's why I'm a Christian. And I just did that in about 45 seconds. Can you do that? Can you share your faith? If you can't, we have a share seminar coming up this month of March being led by Pastor Carolyn. It's not this coming weekend. It's the second next weekend on Sunday afternoon at the Brentwood campus. So plan on, on attending. Okay, share seminar. And then, also, we have something else going on after the month of March. And we want you to be praying about this. We have an event it's called Starting Point. It's for people who are seekers, people who are just maybe just beginning in their faith, but people who are just trying to find the, the, the gate. And we have a 10-week course called Starting Point. It's a great place for people to ask questions. We have a little short clip here 
introducing you to starting point. Let's watch this. Yeah, I don't think so. Oh, come on. I thought you of all people would jump at the chance to at least get some of your questions answered or watch some guy squirm uncomfortably. Look, I'm not saying it doesn't sound like fun. I'm just saying it doesn't sound like fun. And besides, what makes you think that I want to sit with a group of people who are trying to convert me? No, it's nothing like that. You sit in a room, you have a cup of coffee, and you have a conversation. Nobody's there trying to tell you what to believe. Yeah, right. Next thing you know, Brother Bob is cramming a Bible down your throat and someone's handing you a snake. You expect me to believe that a person can walk into a church without knowing a single thing about the Bible and try to have a conversation without looking like an absolute moron? All I'm saying is you are not going to be the only one there who doesn't know how to find the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk? <laughs> Sounds like something you order from a sushi bar. Yeah, until last Sunday I didn't even know there was a book called Habakkuk. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, sitting in a room with a group of strangers, besides, I'm still not even sure I believe in all that stuff. Yeah, I'm not even sure I believe in all that stuff. It's just nice to sit in a room full of people who are asking the same kinds of questions that I have. And no question is off limits. Huh. I don't think I've ever been anywhere where no question was off limits. I wonder where this is. I'll tell you what. I'll go with you next week. If you help me set up my new network router. Deal? Deal. Deal. If you've been journeying with Christ for a while, this is not for you. But listen, you bring someone that you know who's asking questions, and it is for you. Okay? Bring them along. Starting point. Now, I'm going to ask the room people, the hospitality team, to start handing out an invitation. So right now, kick, get at it, guys and girls. And so start handing it out. And while they hand this out, I'm coming to my last point in my message. We have um, a, an invitation for you to, um, to come to the SHARE seminar, but we also have an invitation for you to give to someone else. There's an invitation for you, and that is to come to the SHARE seminar, but we also have an invitation for the Easter weekend. And on the Easter weekend, or I should say Easter week, we have two things. First of all, on Wednesday night, Jen Rousel and her team is going to be hosting a merge event for both uh, middle school, high school, and young adults. It's going to be a great night of fun and games, but it's also going to be a night where Jen's going to be making sure that the gospel is presented and the Easter story of hope is presented. And so there's going to be, and she's going to be networking with some other churches, and she's hoping that she'll have over 200 um, next generation people here. And we're going to be praying for Jen as she presents the gospel of Christ and the Easter story and the hope. But also, where there's an Easter weekend event going on where we're having a combined Good Friday service. And there's going to be choir, there's going to be drama, and Pastor Carolyn's going to be preaching her guts out. <laughs> and then on the Easter services, we're going to be having, I think, a very creative presentation of the hope that we have in Christ as we use modern music that raises big questions about life, and we're going to let the Easter story speak to those big questions of life, and I'm going to be speaking, and I'm going to be preaching my guts out, and I want you to pray for us. Why? Because you are going to be praying for those people who you're going to be inviting to the Easter weekend services, and we want you to start praying right now for that. Don't let, those, let the Holy Spirit lead you. There are people who are going down the Broadway right now, you need to help them find the narrow gate.
You know, I was watching, a, I love watching YouTube videos at times when I'm really bored and trying to avoid writing my sermon. Listen, there was one YouTube video that shows this, you know, one of those cameras that are at one of those intersections of one of these many cities all around in North America, and I think it's down in the States where this happened, but it showed this car, truck coming through, and this car came blowing through, and there was this horrific accident, and everything was spilled on its side, and, you know, you, you just thought for sure everyone got killed in this. And in the midst of all that, then all of a sudden, the camera was showing how all the emergency people came running in and other people came running around. And, and you could see that one car was leaking gas and possibly it was on fire and, and everything. And all of a sudden, it showed this man crawling in through the back of, of, the, of the truck that was turned on its side and all of a sudden bringing out a little baby. Okay? And he was interviewed later. He said, why? why did you, how did you do that? He said, I couldn't help but do it. He said, I had to. I just had to. Now listen, you have friends, you have family, you have neighbors that are on the broad road right now. They're just walking along. They don't know about God. They're trying to find their way. They live for the weekend, maybe drink a little bit, do a few lines, have some sex, do whatever they need to do to kind of get through life. Make as much money as they can, and then they know someday they're going to die, and they don't have a clue what's going to happen next. But you know. You've got to go. You've got to help them. You've got to help them find the narrow way that leads to life. Why? Because love compels. Let's pray. Lord, um, help us to get our a new perspective on what it means to share our hope in Christ. Lord Jesus, help us to hear your words today where you really make it clear that there's a narrow way and there's a broad way and the narrow way leads to life and the broad way leads to destruction. And Lord, that few find the narrow way and many find the broad way. And Lord, you compel us to go and seek and save the lost. So Lord, in your name and in your power, we would just ask that you'd help us to be about your mission because love compels us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.